Hi everyone, welcome back to the State of the Ark podcast. My name is Mike. My name's Kason. Today we're talking about prequels. 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 Stories <laughs> that are made, conceived, and told, but come before something that's already been made. You made Star Wars, and you're like, guess what, I'm going to tell you about what happened before Star Wars. and leads up to it. Um, I have some thoughts, but... You know what's funny about this is, when I was originally thinking about it, I was really drawing a blank for a single example that I thought was good. Did you come up with one fast, or was it hard for you to? I lost you. I will wait a second for him to come back. It was hard for me to to think of one off the bat. Now that's not to say that there wasn't one cuz like, you know, I gave it more thought. I looked at some lists and there are a few that I genuinely think are pretty good. Um there are some technicalities behind some of them that I'll get into in a little bit. But I was thinking about okay, you're back. Uh so my Sorry. question was was this hard for you to think of one that you thought was good quickly. Was- you know, it really was. I was like, you know what? How often? How because and I have a I have a theory about this whole thing, and we can get into this a little bit later. But gen- I mean, if we're just going to jump into it right now, then my theory is that a prequel, the need for a prequel, is a failure of storytelling to begin mm. with. Right? Like you you didn't tell the whole story. You did it. You you started at the wrong point. You screwed up. In other words, like you did it wrong. As great as the movie could be, as great as, um, you know, Lord of the Rings or Star Wars or whatever, as great as those movies are, maybe they they didn't, they're starting in the middle of something and the need for a prequel at all, and you should only really make a prequel if you need to, the need for a prequel is born out of the failure to adequately set the story for your movie to begin with. So... Mm. I don't know if that's right. That was just kind of a thought I had. People probably maybe I argue think, with me in the comments, and I welcome that. Please tell me why I'm wrong, because that, that was just kind of a thought that I had. I'm not, like, married to it. <clears throat> I think there's something to that, right? Because yeah. I do think it's also true that a lot of times prequels are made because it's a franchise that has a fan make base. Money, right, yeah. Yeah, and they want to make money. So it's not being done out of necessity from a storytelling point right. of view so much. So, as so a, for example, with Star Wars, you've got Darth Vader, right? Darth Vader, as you, Darth Vader, the character isn't a very round character, right? He is the evil Dark Lord and he kind of deathbed apologizes for everything. <laughs> and, and that's all we really know about him, right? Um, but all of a sudden it's like wait a second no 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 the character was very round you didn't you didn't understand his backstory there's a reason he's like this well it's like well we didn't understand because you didn't tell us so like whose fault is that like we we had this conception of the character and then they decided to go back and change our conception of that character you can only go wrong when you do that because you know if you're going to i don't know if you're going to have a story about a character and then try to change everybody's minds later. It's just a lot harder to do. Well, you're you're actually walking right into kind of where I think I was going to go with, like, 
if you're gonna do it, like this is the way that I think you should do it, right? Well, I look um, forward to hearing this because I had a hard <laughs> time thinking of like how 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 do you do this? Because again, I don't want to speak. I, I speak. We speak commonly with generalities on the podcast. We there are going to be some examples to the contrary or some outliers or things like that. But I think generally speaking, uh, when you have a, a a prequel being made, it's for something that was really pretty popular already. Yeah. And so people already know the ending of where the prequel story will lead you. Star Wars right. is a great so example. It, yeah. We know Anakin's going to become Darth Vader by the end of the prequel trilogy. We all know that's where it's going before right. it even starts. Which I guess is part of why I would argue that the necessity for a prequel is a failure from, right from the get-go. Or it, it results from a failure. Anyways, it's just... Ugh. The only the only case in which I think that this can be done really well because I did I did come up with a couple examples of prequels that I think are really quite good, but yeah. most of them I think struggle because they focus too much on the plot. I think if p- people huh. already know where it's going because they've already seen the original thing, it's one and this is a totally different discussion if you're walking into this and you never saw the original thing right let's pretend that there's a kid out there who (laughs) didn't see the original star wars when we when the prequels are coming out we were kids when they were coming out and they had never seen the original trilogy and they just saw the star wars prequels first and they did not know what was going to happen right that's a little bit different, I guess, way of looking at it. But I would think, generally speaking, the reason it's being made in the first place is because the the original thing was popular. They're trying to like bank on, make some money on the the franchise, the name of the franchise, the power of yeah. that franchise. So most people have already seen the original thing. So you already know where it's going. So if you make that a plot centered story, there's there's um a lot of tension. And there's there's stakes that will be lost on the viewer because they already know Anakin's going to become Darth Vader anyways, right? Right. So uh, I was actually thinking about Godfather, right? I think I'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, right. Because uh, it, it kind of is a prequel, Godfather 2, because there's two like split storylines that you kind of follow his mm-hmm. dad when he was young and he was like rising up and then like following Michael as the downfall of the family. Anyways, like simultaneously you're seeing both things happen. Um, anyways, but I think that the the only way to make it really interesting still, since we already know what's going to happen, is to answer the question why, kind of like what you were getting at earlier. I don't right. think that it's necessarily indicative of bad storytelling that every character wasn't fully fleshed out and we understood perfectly the reasons why as long as it's not like your protagonist or something like that but maybe the antagonist let's say darth vader in his case sure i mean that sounds going back and and then if it was if that trilogy was a psychological exploration 
for how a good person falls and becomes a down or becomes a bad person. And it was just examining like what happens to a person that like makes them do that. And then the entire thing is an exploration of the person's life and choice and consequence and, and these kinds of themes. That's when I think that it can be really good. Even though you know where it's going, you don't know why. And so then when you watch the original thing again, you have a totally different opinion, mindset, whatever, about the character than you did before. And all the choices that they make in the original thing, you go, oh, I now I have, there's more nuance in it. I understand it better. Like, I sympathize now. Mm-hmm. It changes your viewing of the original. Um, so as long as... As long as you stick to that, it being very character-focused, and as long as it will then give context to the original that you did not have before and make a re-watching of the original thing uh, more interesting, I think that you have something that can be really good. So, yeah. in my opinion, there are two things I don't think do it well. We've mentioned Star Wars. I will mention right. Crisis Core, which I think is really bad um (laughs) but two that i think are very good are uh metal gear solid 3 and uh the this is kind of reboot territory but i still i still think it applies like for instance star trek 2009 i don't consider that a prequel to any previous star wars movie because not only do they reboot it with new actors and stuff but like the story itself is like a time they like go into a new future it's like it's a branch in time because this one thing changed it like changes the whole course of history and it's like a whole new thing so you don't really know where the story's going anyways so it's not retreading old ground until they do the whole stupid like wrath of khan halfway remake of the second one but we're not talking about that today what what i'm (laughs) what i'm getting at is that uh i don't really count star trek 2009 as a prequel in that sense but i think that the planet of the apes trilogy the the newer oh one one, i think that still counts and it very much falls into what i'm talking about they they explore the psychology of um caesar really really well in a way to where you get like tons of just conflicting feelings about both sides here uh the the apes that have sort of risen up and then like the people who are going extinct and everything throughout that trilogy especially in the second and third movie the third movie is amazing amazing character uh work going on in this movie about freaking apes you know what i mean like i was blown away uh yeah. that's one of my favorite movies that i've seen in the last decade is... i still don't think i've seen any of them oh my gosh the I've first one the trailers they look freaking real they look the so first good. one is like it's a solid movie it's like pretty good yeah. um the second one was like wow that was awesome what a nice step up and the third one was just like oh my Fetch. like <laughs> dude so good holy uh, balls it was good um wow. like an, an all-time favorite movie for me it's it's really 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 well done 
And I guess the dude who directed that is making the new Batman or something like that. But oh, uh, the one that casted the vampire kid in it—forget his name. Uh, Wait, Twilight, Robert Pattinson or something? Pattinson? He's going to be that in Ro- Batman. That that dude's going to be Batman. Are you, Can you believe that? <laughs> well, I don't want to judge him too much based on you know those movies, uh, which I haven't seen. Actually, have you seen any of the Twilights? No, I've not. Yeah, me neither. I kind of want to just to see, you know, what all the fuss was about. Anyways, so going going back to huh. Metal Gear Solid really quick. Metal Gear Solid Three, right? Um, I don't even know how much you know about the Metal Gear story. I've played a lot of the games, and I don't really know that much about them. <laughs> they're, yeah. they're pretty uh, complex stories, but I'll just put it this way. Uh, Big Boss is sort of like a villain of the series earlier on. I I can't remember because it's been forever since I played Metal Gear Solid 1. But I think he's name dropped as like the guy who like set up the organization that Liquid Snake works for and like the whole base and the island where they work at and stuff. Um, I know that he was the direct villain of Metal Gear on the NES. Like, mm-hmm. that game, I know he was, like, the main dude. I didn't play that game, but that's what I've heard. Uh, but he was kind of... And then Big Boss makes a return in a big way in Metal Gear Solid 4. You, like, actually see him at the end of the game. Anyways, so Big Boss is, like, this villain who ran this group of mercenaries and set up this island and, uh, you know, like runs like this operation from there and anyways in Metal Gear Solid 3 you go back to the Cold War um sorry I got distracted someone said there's a troll in the chat I, I don't know if people he, he's talking about Do we need uh, to ban somebody yeah scurvy this scurvy joker eh he's probably already gone so it doesn't matter okay somebody dropped by for about five seconds and then left okay so um in any case, Metal Gear Solid 3 goes back into the Cold War, and uh, you follow the story of this character as uh, his mentor. His name is so- his mentor's name is sort of dragged through the dirt, and she's made into this mm-hmm. villain by the government and everything. When all along she was like the real hero all the time and all the crap that he goes through, and you see his, like, change in mentality and, like, his patriotism sort of dies, and he he has all of these really strong reasons to feel the way he feels, and it gives you a very different outlook on the character. Um, and so, like, focusing on him, focusing on Naked Snake slash Big Boss, his relationship with his mentor boss, the tragedy of that whole thing, gives you some context behind that character that they kind of go into with some other games like a peace walker and stuff like that. But, um, that kind of changed your outlook on the whole thing. And so to me, it's a very effective prequel because of that. Now I can replay the other metal gear games and be like, you know, like I, I feel like I have a different perspective on what's going on and who it is that I'm up against and stuff like that. So I think that that, uh, serves as a really effective prequel for that reason. Hmm. Um, you have any thoughts so, before we move on? <clears throat> now, in terms of 
I haven't played Metal Gear Solid 3, so I don't really know yeah. anything about that. Um, but I wanted to actually read a couple of things from the chat. We've gotten okay. some really good. People are talking about Better Call Saul, like a lot. Uh, and, I haven't seen it. Yeah, I haven't either. Dang it. Okay, I was hoping we could talk about that a little bit. But they're saying it's a really good uh, like character study. It's almost like somebody had also mentioned Silence of the Lambs had a prequel called like Red Dragon, I think. Now, I haven't seen Red Dragon. But um, the idea, the idea that you could have a prequel about something and people don't necessarily know that it's a prequel about mm. that thing True. necessarily. I think that might be a better way to, to do it. You know, um, I was going to bring that up because, again, I am not a Metal Gear head. So, like, I've played <laughs> through them all. I think I've played Metal Gear Solid 3 twice or three times. But the rest of them I've only played once and it was years and years and years ago. But if I'm not mistaken, because when I played it, I I had that context. My friend told me, play Metal Gear Solid 3 first, then go back and play these other ones. So I yeah. knew it was a prequel from the start. But if I'm not mistaken, I'm not sure if you really know that. Uh, when you're playing it, I think that that's something they reveal later, that that you are playing as Big Boss. But I could be mistaken. I don't, I don't know if that's the case or not. But. Yeah. Well, here, and here's another question. Is like, uh, is Captain America the first Captain America movie, right? Mm. Is, well. No, I don't think it. I think that the okay. original comics started at that time period. Yeah. Yes. But um, maybe that's a bad example because I never actually saw that movie. I'm <laughs> talking about the second one. I don't know. Some of the Marvel films are not necessarily told in chronological order. Right? That's true. Yes. Now you have like Iron Man and then I don't even know the order of all these movies, but you have a lot of um, kind of backstory. You have a lot of things going back to retell certain events, right? Like with maybe, you know, I can't really think of a good example because I'm not familiar with the Marvel films, but I'm sure you could, <laughs> that a lot of the movies, they kind of go back and they tell little bits, right? And I don't know exactly how much of the Marvel films were planned to begin with, but the fact that they're they're focusing on different characters, people you would consider to maybe be a side character or something like that. And it's like, oh, you get their whole backstory, and then we go back to the main thing with all the characters and stuff. So, um, one thing that I was going to bring up as a problem and, and one thing that's hard to avoid is retconning or, or uh-huh. changing established stuff when you go back and mess with it. And I think that's something Captain Marvel ended up doing because Captain Marvel really? happens like in the 90s. Uh-huh. And there's some stuff they do with like um, mm-hmm. uh, Nick Fury as a character there um, that kind of messes with like what we had known about him or what he had said before. It, it's the st- mm-hmm. sort of stuff my brother would point out like immediately yes. <laughs> and be like this doesn't work because whatever um yeah. so that that can be a problem for sure when you're telling yeah. stuff out of order and you hadn't you hadn't thought it through it hadn't been all um i think what you're getting at is it hadn't been all uh, uh outlined to begin with right you right. decided not i mean some of it had it's not clear what had been and what hadn't right and you know that's a that's an argument people make all the time about like the Star Wars prequels, right? Because he claims to have outlined episodes one through six all at the same time, or one through nine even all at the same time, right? Like he had a, a an outline for like the whole thing, and he had, like had the whole story planned out. But yeah. at the same time, you're like, 
I don't think so because I know A, B, C, D thing that contradicts each other when they say this here and they do this here. And because stories evolve, whether evolve. you had exactly. like a rough, a rough plan, but then well, you thought about it later <clears throat> for 30 years or something, you know what I mean? And then so, yeah, this is kind of funny. Riker's beard just throughout this question. I have a few others I want to read before this, but he said, would the Hobbit be considered a prequel of Lord of the Rings, even though the book was written first? I don't know if he's, I think he's referring to the books here. Is the Hobbit considered yeah, the a books. prequel even though it was written first? I would say no. However, in terms of the movies, yes. The way that they made the Hobbit movies, they made them to be prequels to the Lord of the Rings. And I don't like that. That's one of the things I don't like. One of the big reasons I don't like the Hobbit movies. Um, they tried to make them, they did all the crappy things that most prequels do in those movies, even though it shouldn't have been a prequel necessarily. It you know the Bilbo finding the ring was just kind of a a small part of you know the greater story, and anyways, <coughs> I don't like how much of that stuff that they put in there. The Hobbit wasn't supposed to be like that, and it was never originally written to be a prequel. So, yeah, agreed. That's uh, my opinion. Zeno Chad says dark is Dark Pixel considered the prequel to Resident Arc? No, uh, it's no. Con- Resident Arc is the sequel to Dark Pixel, which is the first, <laughs> but it is not a prequel. Yeah, a prequel so, has got to come after a thing has been yeah, made first. it was made later. But it goes back and tells a story before the thing that's already previous. been made. Yeah. So C. Krause says, to counter Kaysen's point, I think a good need for a prequel is when a story is rich enough that it has supporting characters we legitimately want to see expounded upon. I think a good prequel is a story that gives an in-depth exploration of a known ending we know X character ends at Z place, but let's explore that growth. And it's an it, it's an arc that we can see being interesting enough to support a story. Now, that's more or less what I was referring to when I said a lot of prequels should maybe be about side characters, about mm. people you didn't know very well. I think a story should be able to flesh out a character well enough to where you know who they are. Um. And if you go back to tell a prequel, you don't necessarily need to relearn who that character is again. You should be moving forward from that point. I don't know, just just a, a thought that I have. But in terms of the side characters, clearly they, they will not always be fleshed out to the extent that they should be for a good story because they don't need to be in order for the story to still be good. And so in that case, you can take those characters Obi-Wan Kenobi, Boba Fett, you know, some of those characters make uh, standalone movies out of them. And it seems like both of those standalone films that are currently planned have been canceled. So. <laughs> and they would rather do other things. It, it's part of why a lot of people, I know you didn't like Rogue One very much, Mike. Nope. A lot of people did. Um, a lot of people say it's like their favorite other than, you know, the original trilogy. Um, I feel like there may be something to the fact that these weren't characters that we ever see again, ever. And, you know, it just was kind of telling a a brief part of a story before the actual, you know, it didn't, it didn't reference too heavily the original content. It didn't. uh, Yeah. I don't know. It it kind of did its own thing and it was its own standalone story that, that, you know, kind of works on its own and doesn't really impact the, the rest of the original trilogy very much. Yeah, my <clears throat> problems with that movie are not necessarily related to prequelitis. There is an element of it there in that you know what's going to happen at the end. So, like, there, I didn't feel a lot of tension. Yeah. 
but that's all prequels are kind of like yeah <laughs> it's just a so, fault of the so prequel idea o- only that element of it i think was damaged by it being a prequel but my problem with yeah. the movie was more with its pacing and its lack of attention to building any strong character yeah uh, sure and and mostly just getting us from action piece to action piece to action yeah, piece as quickly sure. as possible and so mm. I, it's not a i don't think it's a bad movie like i think that it's a competently made movie and has some really really exciting action in it but i just did not care about any of the people in the movie while i was watching it it's i felt true. no stakes or tension or i didn't care if they lived or died I had right. no emotional attachment to anything that was happening in, in the movie. So I just Yeah, felt you very don't you boring. don't connect with the characters at all. Yeah. In essence, I guess it was just an expanding upon something that was briefly mentioned <laughs> yeah. in, in episode four. And that was it. And it's like, oh, let's make a whole movie out of it. But the characters clearly were not weren't like that. And it's not like I want prequels of the characters in Rogue One the way I, I wanted prequels of the characters in Star Wars, if that right. makes any sense. Yeah. So, anyways, um, I did want to talk a little bit about um, where I think that prequels can go wrong. Uh, and I think um, a really good example, because I'm, I'm, I'm replaying through Final Fantasy VII right now. I got, a, I got the Switch version. Oh, sick. Um, nice. Which has subsequently be- become my favorite version of the game I've ever played. Really? Oh, I if only if only because it, it, it for, for reasons that you won't like though I think. Uh, <laughs> great, great. Okay, because well, you can speed it up to times oh, three. <laughs> so okay, I got you. Things like um, yeah. mastering materia or um, getting the right number of kills with a character so that you can maximize their use of their ultimate weapon. Things uh-huh. like that are made much quicker. These are things that I've done in the past and grinded when for 300 game, hours. Exactly. When you played a game 20 times, I, I understand that being a, a wanted feature. Yes. So I love it for that reason. It makes getting your limit breaks a lot faster. It makes mastering your material a lot faster. It yeah. makes any of the long animations that you can't <laughs> skip, like the summons much Uh faster (laughs) um so yeah so i really have enjoyed this playthrough of it uh because i've been able to skip through certain things quicker and i'm about 30 hours into the game and if i had played it on a normal version without that speed up feature i'd probably be maybe 50 or 60 hours into it almost so it's sped it up like that much well um because i've done a lot of that sort of stuff i've mastered tons of material already and Mm -hmm. i've unlocked every character's limit break and i've you know so anyways uh that's neither here nor there i'm playing through it (laughs) and i i got uh, spoilers for final fantasy 7 if you haven't played it if you're waiting for the remake and stuff to be your first um uh time playing through that story Mm -hmm. uh now's a good time to peace out Thanks for listening so far. Have a good weekend. <laughs> See you later. See you later. Um, anyways, the the sequence in Cloud's subconscious where you go in there with Tifa and you explore like his memories. Um, 
I remember a couple weeks ago, someone in the chat brought up, because we were talking about uh, the way Cloud is portrayed across the compilation, right? And how we don't like it. Yeah. Um, and something really stood out to me on this playthrough was Cloud's little kid personality. Mm-hmm. Um, the child version of himself that you work with yeah. in that subconscious sequence to like unlock his memories and find oh, out yeah, like, who yeah. he really was. Yeah. That kid is not timid or shy or he's very blunt and almost kind of condescending. Um, and there's, there's a certain part where he's like, he's sort of like being self-reflective and he's like, I thought you guys were so dumb, you know, like you're so such immature kids and you laughed at every stupid thing. And Tifa's like, well, we were children back then. He's like, I know I was the one who was weak and I was the one who was stupid. So he's recognizing his weakness, right? right. So Cloud is weak minded. That's like a locked part of his character. But I think they yeah. took that idea of him being a weak minded person and they turned him into a timid guy in crisis core where he's like, Oh, like I'm so scared to like speak up and like, but I'm this nice little timid dude that I think they messed up. I don't think they, I don't think that they really captured because that kid was like pretty rude almost, I guess. Like, cause he, he, when, what, what happens is Tifa goes up into the mountain. She's like, losing it because her mom had just passed away and she's dealing with the grief of that and the other kids are following her and then and then cloud goes running off uh, after her and doesn't make it in time she slips and falls they both slip and fall off a cliff and he just gets scraped knees she goes into a coma for seven days and her father blames cloud like how could you do this how could you bring her to this place like what's wrong with you and he goes into a, a bit there talking about how he started to, he became like really aggressive. Like he started yeah. getting in fights with anybody he could and he wanted to go and join soldier and he wanted to prove how strong he was. Right. Because right. he felt this internal weakness. But in response to that, generally what people do is say when their feelings are hurt, right? They're actually feeling pain or insecurity. But what do they respond with? Right. Their primary emotion is this like deep sadness or or insecurity or something pained. But the secondary emotion rises up to protect that primary emotion, which is anger. So anger comes out and they respond in anger. But what they're really feeling is a lot of pain. Mm -hmm. Right. So this is what happened with Cloud. He was feeling all this weakness and all this pain. He wanted to hide that weakness. He didn't want to show it. So he became this condescending tough guy in his the way he sort of like showed it on his face, which is very much in line with how he acts at the beginning of the game, right? He talks down to people. He's like, I don't care. I'm just here for the money. That, it struck me as really profound that that was a part of his personality that he developed there as a kid because of that incident and because he had been an outcast among Tifa's group. Right. And so, and it it feels, it feels very natural that the kid would become angry and aggressive and 
you know, like hard to get to know because he's protecting himself. Yeah. And so he, he wants to portray himself as being this. Anyways. So. Messing with established and beloved characters. In any sort of. Especially a prequel, but like even in the compilation material in general. And showing a side of the character that doesn't feel true to the original is one way to really mess it up. Um, and, and, and it's, it's, you're treading dangerous waters there. You take a villain as, um, prolific as Darth Vader, and you're going to portray that character the way that they do in the prequel trilogy. Now I'm not making this criticism. I'm just saying that one of the things I heard a lot from the, you know, people surrounding us in our circles growing up was how annoying Anakin was. Right. Not not just in Phantom Menace as the little kid. I don't really blame that. He's just a little kid. But he's but, just a kid. He actually was but the fine, second right? movie, like just yeah. this whiny, like, like I, people had this idea of who he was. And you're right. Like that's why I'm not throwing this as my own criticism as it, at it, mm. but just bringing it up as an example of how a fandom sees a character this way. They they all have the, their interpretation and and Final Fantasy far and beyond Star Wars is meant to be interpretive on purpose. Right. Like uh, I was gonna do a video last week. I decided against it because um, and it just kind of got away from what we wanted to do with the channel a little bit. It was a little bit too much of a critical look at things. Yeah. And I, and people are too hyped on the game right now, I think to really like internalize what I was wanting to say. So mm -hmm. I just decided against it. But, uh, I was going to bring up as like the first part of that video to, to, to just demonstrate this point, the, the quote from Tetsuya Nomura when they were making, uh, Advent children, and talking uh -huh. about how you're not going to get all the answers from this. This isn't like a typical Hollywood movie. It's made for the purpose of getting people to talk and try to find the answers. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that to me has been. And that's Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> that has been the entire company's storytelling mantra since the merger with Enix, at least. But I think mm. even before that, I think going back to Final Fantasy 7, 8, and 9. They were doing it then too. They were they were purposefully being a little bit open ended with the way that they described certain things, so that the fans would go and they they would get on and they would discuss certain points of lore. You know, here's my interpretation of it. Here's mine. Here's why I think it's this. Here's why I think this character really felt this way. And the whole purpose of that is essentially mouth uh, word of mouth viral marketing. Right, the players are going to talk about it so much that they're going to introduce it to other people. Right, they will people. create the canon ideas amongst themselves as opposed to with the writer. Yeah, and you know, then they release the Ultimanias and try to answer some of those things. Ah, but sure, like, sure. but the point is that this, I was going to say that as a baseline, like this is supposed to be interpretive, right? Like. Your interpretation and my interpretation are not the same. I have people I really respect who have certain interpretations of the story or points of the story that I strongly disagree with. I, I just don't think that that's the way it is. But that's done on purpose. It was created that way so that we would discuss and argue and debate and talk about it more. So anyways, 
Final Fantasy VII is an interpretive story. It's meant to be that way. So telling... So the fact that even like the creators or people who were on the original creative team for the original game saw Cloud the way he's portrayed in Crisis Core and Advent Children and stuff like that is fascinating to me. Because to me, it seems plain and clear that he was not that way even in the bits where we where we saw him not having the, what we we got literally into his subconscious we're speaking to his subconscious mind and his subconscious mind is telling you he's not that way he feels weak but he didn't want to show his weakness so he never came yeah. across that way he tried to prove how strong he was anyways I, I think the more the like doing a prequel in general, you run that risk. You run the yes. risk of retelling a character in a way that people will not like, and yes. not just that they won't like it because that's how he was, but won't like it because that's not how he was. Yes, he wasn't like that. Yes, that's that's just, the point I'm getting yeah, at. Yeah, you just run such a such a high risk of of disappointing everybody. It's you yeah. know, but you got to get that money right. The money's yeah. just there, waiting to be grabbed. Right. So while. I might have seen, you know, I have many problems with the Star Wars prequels, but why it might not have bothered me that uh, that Anakin was um, an angsty teenager because mm. that's exactly what he was and that's, that's what, what he, he was. should be because he is well, an angsty teenager. But people yeah. see Darth Vader and they're like, they don't want to see Darth Vader I as know, being they don't an like angsty that. teenager <laughs> once. And so they want to see him, you know. Well, it messes with their perception of the character and where they don't like. And that, like you said, true. is a risk you're running by telling a prequel story. Yeah. Like, hey, what, do you guys want to know what Darth Vader was like as a teenager? <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> not really, actually. Like, people want to know Darth Vader's backstory, but they don't want to see Darth Vader as an angsty teen who just, uh, the world's so unfair, you know? Like, that's not Darth Vader. And that's one of the problems with Kylo Ren. He kind of comes across that way. He is mm. the angsty teen Darth Vader. And that is everyone's least favorite Darth Vader. So, like, get rid of that. We don't like that. But I I, I like that you mentioned that you aren't, like, super opposed to... Because he's an angsty teen. That just happens to be. But that's the type of story that they decided to tell. That's the problem. They wanted to tell the story of Vader as an angsty teen. Not the fact that when they told it... Vader is an angsty teen. So it's like a conceptual yeah. problem from the beginning because you've told me in the past many times, which Harry Potter book is your favorite book? Number three. Yeah. The, what's yeah. that one called? The, that was the different Prisoner, one. Of Azkaban? Prisoner of Azkaban. Okay. What's your second favorite? <laughs> <laughs> the books? You're talking about the books, you, right? You, books or movies. I think books. You've, you've told me in the past number five. I don't know. if. Oh, like, right? oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Sorry. Sorry. Because I was thinking movies. I know I should have. We didn't prepare this ahead of time. <laughs> but in the fifth book, most people's least favorite is the fifth, right? Yeah. You, mm-hmm. it may not be your very favorite, but it's not your least favorite because that's Harry Potter's a teenager and everything gets screwed up. And that's just how it that's how it's that's that's just how it goes. Now, that's not a prequel. It just so happens Harry Potter was not a teenager when the book started and became a teenager as the books went forward. Yeah. Um, but like it's funny that you kind of you you don't you 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 would rather have a realistic interpretation of a teenager if that is who we're talking about than yeah. you know just kind of like whitewash the whole thing and be like oh he was Harry Potter was just so perfect and always did the right thing you know or Darth well, Vader was always so evil and he always was evil no matter what he was never a teen who questioned everything you know I um 
I, I think that my experience was also, well, I think both of us, it was pretty unique in that, well, this isn't true if you had started reading like when the book actually came out. Yeah, I, I started do. reading the books because the movies got them popular, so I went and read them. So uh, me too. along the timeline of when I started reading them and when they were released, I was pretty much the same age as Harry Potter, right? Oh, like, yeah, that's right. I was probably a little bit older than him when I read books one and two, but by the right. time like three, four, five, when I was reading through that, I was 13, 14, 15 years of age right. myself. Hmm. So I think that if I were to read that book today, I'm sure that my outlook would be pretty different than it was when I was 15 and I could really relate to the things he was feeling, right? It could, because it could very well be that as a 32 year old and I go back and look at that now, it's like, dude, Harry, stop being annoying. Like, right. Get over it. You know what I mean? The whole world (laughs) isn't against you, dude. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't know. Cause it's just been so long, but, but yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I think that, well, I want to go back to star Wars real quick in that I find it interesting that, and again, this might be some, something George had been planning, literally outlined and been planning from the beginning, was to tell yeah. the story of Anakin Skywalker from a little boy, right? But see, to me, when I watch the original trilogy and Obi-Wan talks about how he met Anakin and how he was this great pilot. Oh, yeah, that's right. I yeah. assumed he was older already when Obi-Wan Kenobi met him. Yeah. I didn't assume he met him as a child. I assumed from that explanation from Alec Guinness in Star Wars 1977 that he met him as a young man. It's like a 20 year as a, as a pilot yeah. in the Republic or something like that. Sure. And like they became friends rather than like a father and son mentor relationship. He was like older than him, obviously, but he described him as like somebody he met and it seemed like he was already in adulthood. And so when then you go back again, this is this is me looking at it as an adult when I'm watching Star Wars. When I was a kid, I was so stoked for the Star Wars prequels and I fetching love to Anna Menace and I and fetching loved the lightsaber <laughs> fights are legit, dude. They're really yeah. good. <laughs> I loved them. Uh, yeah. The prequels when I watched, watched them, them growing up, I liked them a lot. Yeah. So it isn't until I got older that I looked at them differently, but when I when I watched, because I rewatched them fairly frequently, but that scene in particular, I get an image in my mind of what he's describing, and and it, it's really interesting having seen the prequels and and then watching this and listening to the conversation. Now I still get a very different idea from Obi Wan in 1977 Star Wars about his relationship with Obi Wan yeah. than what we get in the prequel movies. They feel like. He's not describing the same thing. And there could be a point made, well, he's being purposely a bit deceptive. He's trying not to tell Luke really what happened so much. Who his father really was or whatever. Yeah, Uh, fine. But it's kind of the same way with the Jedi Order, too. Like, I get the sense watching the the originals now that these were like uh, Taolin monks who lived like apart from society in their little Mm -hmm. Jedi temple on their own planet. And sort of just were like peaceful. I didn't get the sense. Oh, we were like directly in the center of the freaking entire galactic government, like 
at a building right there in the middle of it all, yeah. where, like active and participating in politics and and going on missions for these people. Like that's not the idea I got when I listened to the way that the Jedi are described by Yoda and stuff like that. Right. I, I saw it very differently in my mind that, that gives it. So I can, what I'm, what I'm getting at is I can see how people who were maybe adults when they watched the original star Wars movies, and then they see these prequel movies coming out, they get really excited. And then they go see them. It's like, what the fetch? This feels so out of whack from like how they talked about it. Yeah. I didn't, you know, it could really mess with that. That's the, that's the danger. That's the danger of prequels is if you detail things that were left mysterious and vague and open and, and they were left for interpretation, people are going to have their interpretation, their version of it. And then when you go back and tell your canonized version of it, they're going to be like, that's so different. And I don't, I'm not sure I like that idea. I like my idea better, you know? Yep. Uh, somebody was asking earlier, is Knights of the Old Republic considered a prequel? <laughs> And yeah, I guess. I guess so. I mean, I don't know. Not how to the Skywalker saga, but to the universe yeah. of Star Wars, sure. It's like maybe the best prequel ever told is the Silmarillion, right? And <laughs> poss- possibly you could look at that and say, hey, this is how sequels should be told, right? Like if you're going to go back and tell the story, just don't don't do it halfway, man. <laughs> like go back and tell the whole story. If people are interested in your world, like, and this is harder to do in, to do in a movie. I, I totally understand that. But at least in, in books, you can do that kind of thing. You can detail a lot of this historical stuff. And maybe it works better in a book because you aren't showing it necessarily. People still get to build it in their mind, um, you know, to more or less, to a greater or lesser degree. And you kind of have a little bit more freedom to do a prequel book as opposed to a prequel movie. Mm-hmm. And I don't know exactly why, but every every time, not every time, but often when you do prequel movies, you end up seeing these characters younger, kind of like this new Han Solo film. There's a certain type of character that these people always become when we do these prequels, right? Yeah. They're just these like super quick wit, funny, don't care about anything, only, you know, just care about myself kind of stuff. Um, they just become that kind of character anytime we tell like a prequel story. And it typically, I don't know, maybe... Maybe I'm making a bit too much of a blanket statement here. That's not always the case, but I often see that type of character in people who I feel like should be a little bit more like how they were initially, but we've got to, Oh, we've got to make them seem cool and hip and witty and young and all that stuff. Yeah. Got some people talking about like the Silmarillion and Knights of the Republic and stuff. So I do want to touch on that real quick. Um, I think that just for the purpose of kind of like the character work we're talking about, uh, that things like the Silmarillion and Knights of the Republic wouldn't necessarily apply because while the Silmarillion, while like having read that will change perhaps some context in terms of like understanding what the elves are talking about, understanding like what the real stakes are here from the out of the Hobbit's point of view and more of like the old, um, I don't want to say old, but the the Eldar, like the Eldar elves' point of view on things, can can change it on a rewatch or a reread or something like that. But um, it's not like we're telling the story of Frodo as a boy. You know what I mean? Like that's the more the kind of prequel we're talking about. The Hobbit, if it had not been written first, would be that. Well, the Hobbit movies clearly were 
that are that for the films to be that and that's why they're yeah. so that's why you got that line at the end of the third one where freaking elf thranduil is like legolas go and find a ranger you don't know his real name but you have to discover it for yourself or something it's like why do you even throw that stuff in it's because they're trying to make this feel more like a prequel than it actually was supposed to be yeah that kind of like uh nonsense like fan service sort of stuff, just name dropping things to say, remember this thing and remember that thing you liked. Remember freaking Aragorn. Yeah, dude, we remember Aragorn. Like if you're going to do fan service stuff, do it about something a little more subtle. Like, why is it like the main character from the last trilogy? And relevant, relevant to the current plot that that you're telling. Not, 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 don't just name drop it for the sake, you know, anyways. Um, so yeah, um, I don't know that we made a ton of headway in this conversation. <laughs> it's really because now that now that it's like, okay, well, what even is is a prequel, right? And it's like, well, the the rules are kind of vague, I guess, on what a prequel is and is not. Well, okay, so because Rob brought it up again, and this is also something I was going to touch on. I yeah. think when we talk about the Silmarillion, we talk about Knights of the Republic, or this idea of a prequel of the Genova's initial descent into the Final Fantasy VII world with the Cetra and the defeat where the Cetra defeat Genova. Yeah. These are like extreme ancient days lore kind of like background stuff, right? Stuff that may or may... Well, it can still directly affect the plot, but not necessarily the characters of the main thing so like i don't want to say that either i think you get the point i'm getting at though like we're talking about people like thousands of years ago it needs to at least be like the same characters it's not part of the same arc over here like the skywalker saga which is episodes one through nine you know the the star wars prequels are movies that directly affect those characters in that generation of people <laughs> right well, yeah knights of the world of public doesn't necessarily have much bearing on luke skywalker's life it does in the sense that the history shapes right. the galaxy and the government and the way the jedi order is but like his specific journey his specific arc is not affected by character from knights of the old republic you know what I mean? That's what I'm talking about. I don't consider those prequels so much as just lore detail, I guess. But those are the best ones. <laughs> so, That's very true. Maybe we hit on something here. You just said it's not part of the same arc, right? Well, you've got your typical character arc, but if you make a prequel, then just slide that arc over, right? Your little arc. And now you've got another arc, right? <laughs> you end up with just a more complicated character arc pattern that is i don't know depending on how it's being done i suppose and this is the funny thing about star wars is that the characters do change you know from each trilogy onwards right you didn't have luke or you didn't i guess you technically had luke in episode eight but screw that um (laughs) well you didn't have luke but you had vader and then vader was still kind of there and then now he's gone for these new ones but maybe the emperor is back oh no no dude why are you that i'm so mad watching it. I am I'm never going to watch another Star Wars movie again. Never again. If I can actually do that or not. Um but freaking like 
you know, like what is Star Wars about? Like, well, you can't really say what it's about anymore because it's changed so much. It's not about a, a character anymore. There is no single character that is constant from the beginning to the end. Um, but they all just kind of come and go and fade in and fade out in kind of a blur. You know, I and, think you've hit on something mm-hmm. that to me kind of clarifies my position on this. And that is that the reason why it's so difficult even to do sequels, Final Fantasy VII compilation, the, the games and movies that come after Final Fantasy VII, just as much as the one that came, comes before the prequel, is that we had a completed arc. We did, the yeah. Thing. <laughs> More or less. It was done. It was completed. Yeah. We had a resolution. It was over. But now we're trying to make a nope. We're gonna like yeah. we're gonna draw that arc out again. I need to like draw this out. Like, dur, 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 dur. and then oh, here's another guy. But then here's another guy. And by the end, it's like his character arc looks like this, and it's like that's really dumb. That's not. That's really bad for story. Yes, and I think it's hurt the Star Wars sequel trilogy, just as it hurt the Star Wars prequel trilogy. So my position on this is, well. It doesn't matter because the whole thing's driven by money. So we have a powerful brand, a something beloved, something people are very, very into, and we can maximize profits on this thing by making additional content from that. Mm. I think the right thing to do, that what we've arrived at, is let's go a billion years in the past and have the name of the thing on it, but have it not affect the arc of the yeah. established thing already done. The arc. You only you ninety percent of the time you'll screw things up if you touch that arc. Whereas if it's like, okay, we're gonna go back and tell a prequel story, if if it's plot centered, I think it's going to mess with the established arc hmm. that you have. If it's a an extreme character focus, like a character study of a certain person then it feels more like a patch, an expansion, uh, an additional DLC episode of the original thing more than it does like this integral, you must have this. You have to know this in order for this thing to make sense. Or in order for this to work, you need this piece of information. I think... If you ser- if it serves only as okay, let's bring up Final Fantasy VII again, right? Final Fantasy VII, you have a great completed arc there. You understand uh, pretty much all the characters' backstories and why they did what they did and who they are and whatnot. We we get all that. We don't necessarily need that clarified. But what would be really interesting and what I thought they were going to do when I first saw my first screenshot in the magazine for Crisis Core, they showed a shot of Sephiroth and Zack fighting. I think it's from the simulation at the very beginning, like the first little like mission where he they run through the whole Midgar bombing thing. I don't know yeah. how they have a simulation of the avalanche bombing <laughs> that has not happened yet. Uh, I know that that's not what his goal was, but that's the kind of name dropping the type of like, here's a remember how cool this was in the they have you on the train jumping off the train and going through just like in the original with the original music playing. It's just Mm -hmm. that's that is the equivalent of just remember this thing that was cool. We're back in the same world again. Anyways, 
it's from there. The screenshot I saw was from that sequence, and it shows Sephiroth and Zack sort of facing off. And I remember my very first reaction to that was, they're doing a background story on Sephiroth. I'm so excited. And that's not at all what it was. Right. But to me, that's the only way, unless you do, like Rob has talked about, a Genova ancient history thing that doesn't affect the arc of the current characters unless you do that the only way i think to do a good prequel is do a character study on sephiroth how does that dude become that guy like how does he go from being i don't want to call him a good guy he was i don't think he was ever a good dude because i think they misrepresented him too as being the soft-spoken nice guy yeah, I, I just I just don't agree with that take on these guys who are essentially mercenaries for a company uh, yeah. <laughs> that like is uh, what do you call it um, empirical. They go about like taking over territories and like setting up their reactors and, and just like, you know. What is that called? Not empirical. Uh colonialist whatever that is where you private company i mean i don't know i don't know what you call it they go around taking over stuff and taking people's lands from them right i have i have i find it really hard to believe that these hardened soldiers exposed to mako had like a good sense of justice and morality and uh, honor and those sorts of things, right? That, that that they were able to retain that. Maybe they had some kind of propaganda going on. They don't really show that much, but I just it's hard for me to believe that they'd have that mindset. I don't think Sephiroth is ever a good dude in that sense. I don't think he was ever shown off being that way. But he at least wasn't like genocidal. <laughs> he didn't kill everyone. Yeah. So yeah. how do how how does a person get twisted to that point? We see that we see the trigger event. Yeah, yeah. In Final Fantasy VII, but what was his life like to where that trigger event like pushed him over the edge? How does a person become that psychotic? You know what I mean? That would have been, I think, an interesting thing. And you see that through the eyes of maybe like the guy who is just under him in Zack. You know, like seeing someone he looked up to, yeah, or, or, or had illusions of grandeur about, sort of like fall from grace, so to speak. But maybe he never was in grace to begin with. He had false ideas about the whole thing. That I think could have been like a really cool story that would not have messed with any existing arc. But they have so many things they insert and retcon and change in there that that ultimately changes the. Th- thematic content of ff7 that it's just like dude like why why are we introducing all these new characters and and genesis and genesis was there at the yeah. reactor and what and a separate genova project and or not you had the genova s and the whatever the, mm-hmm. the two different scientists it's just like uh there's just all this stuff that like overcomplicates it and instead of like being a, an interesting little window into a character that gives you some context for the original game and maybe changes your perspective on a later playthrough, you now have changed literally like freaking tons and tons and tons of concrete detail about the story of the original game. And I think that is a mistake. 
like you're saying, messing with the original arc. Don't do that. Don't do that. Just don't if do it, that. <laughs> if you need to mess with the original arc to make it better, and this is one of maybe possibly this. Okay, I read this in the chat because I haven't played Metal Gear Solid Three, but some people say, yeah, Metal Gear Solid Three kind of patches up some of the errors of Metal Gear Solid 2, which was kind of a not great story, right? Now, it's possible that through improper storytelling, you need a prequel in order to explain everything better or correctly in the first place. But if the story was told correctly to begin with, you just don't you don't need a prequel. You can still make one if you want. It might be a cool movie or game, but you don't need to do it. You don't need it. Yeah. That makes sense. What do you think about the Metal Gear Solid? Um, I, so I, I, I want to clarify because I just know the way people think. Kason's not saying that Metal Gear Solid 2 is bad. Kason, no, I don't no, no, think he's no, played I, Metal Gear Solid 2. Sorry, sorry. He's <laughs> referencing the chat, things in the yeah. chat where the chat have said, Metal Gear Solid 2 had messy storytelling and Metal Gear Solid 3 patched it. Yes. Uh, I guess it depends on whether you feel like the the story needed it. Like whether or not, like you're saying, it's a fit. Like this kind of goes back to the point you made at the very freaking beginning. If no, the, this, <laughs> why if make the story, a story need it, you know? Yeah, if the story needs patching to begin with, if it needs further explanation, it's because you didn't do a good job. Right. In the original so, thing. Would be something that better tells the a story that wasn't all that good to begin with, if that makes any sense. Otherwise, the prequel will if the source material was good, the prequel will almost always not be good because it is completely unnecessary. Yeah. I think that there is something to be said there. That it's unnecessary, so why are you doing it? Yeah. As as a for plot and if right? it's necessary it means you did something wrong right for plot if it's necessary to understand the plot or to fix the plot you did a bad job to start with good good distinction not character wise but plot wise because not yeah. every character needs to be fleshed out like you like you mentioned before but if you do plot, it as a character study pretty understandable and fleshed out <laughs> if you do it as a character study i think it can be really good and to sure. me that is why metal gear solid 3 is good I don't really care about the Metal Gear plot being patched because the thing is freaking wild anyways. It's it's crazy story. Uh, Final Fantasy VII, while there will be some people, I think, that would argue that it's very complicated. Look, Final Fantasy tells some pretty complicated stories, the series later after VII, that I think are more complex than VII's was. Seven. There, I mean, I'll be the first to admit I had some um, misconceptions about, I mean, details that aren't necessarily super relevant to, to feel like you understood it. Is Genova um, sentient or not? You know what I mean? Uh, is Genova mind controlling Sephiroth? I guess I never really saw it that way as a sentient being mind controlling Sephiroth so much as a parasitic life form that he is unknowingly being manipulated by but not manipulated in the sense that it has a conscious idea of what it wants it's like i'm playing puppet master you're all on my strings you'll do my bidding that's not what i thought i thought of it like there's an instinct 
in with inside of people that have Genova cells injected into them and they're driven to do something, but they're not sure why. Mm. I felt that Sephiroth was part of that. He had an instinct to do something to harm the planet that didn't exist before because Genova was had Genova cells in him. Anyways, it's been clarified that Sephiroth was using that instinct against Cloud and against the other Sephiroth clones or copies as they're called, right? He was using the whole Genova reunion thing consciously. He was like using the parasite, using it, right? <laughs> but that's not something that you have to know or ha- has right. to be totally clear for you to really enjoy the actual, but like nuts and bolts i get the plot i i know how we got from a to b i know why we're here i know sephiroth needs to be killed no confusion (laughs) on that point right (laughs) so there are no details in ff7's plot like that where i was like dude i don't i'm lost like i have no idea what's going on here i need further clarification let's make another game and clarify that you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I never felt like it was necessary. I think a lot of sure. people felt that way about the ending because they felt like, well, what happens to the characters, though? Wow. But to me, it was like that was never the point. It was the, the planet at large was saved. Right. And that yeah. that's what they were trying to fight for the whole time. And so the planet lived on. The people die and they return to the planet. They go back into the life stream, right? And the life stream is what saved the planet in the end. Right. And so everyone's a part of that. Everyone's a part of the life stream. Every living thing on the planet. So the planet survived. Everyone is, everyone is preserved. Everyone's memories, all of it is preserved in the life stream. I thought it was a beautiful ending. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't need more. Anyways. Um, I, I agree. Uh, if there's anything else from the chat. Fate Zero and Fate Stay Night. Fate Stay Night being the sequel saying that it's way better than Fate Zero. But I've never played those games, so I've, I've heard, seen that a couple times. Sorry, guys. I know nothing about Fate Stay. Um, yeah, I haven't heard, any, heard of it either. Torna, the prequel of Xenoblade Chronicles 2. Torna prequel game of Xenoblade Chronicles 2. Do you know what they're talking about? Zeno Chad. Oh, oh, you're talking about uh, Torn. What is it? Torna? T-O-R-E. I don't know. Yeah, Torna. I didn't play it because I hated Xenoblade 2 so much. I'm sorry, guys. Then let's keep going. Um, a story that can be improved by a prequel is a rich story. Well, I disagree with that, I guess, in general. This is from Melchior Blade 7. A story that needs a prequel in order to be good is just bad. I think that's Kaysen's point, and I agree. Sounds about right, I suppose. Um, oh, here you go. Uh, C. Kraus, this is from a long time ago. He mentioned this, but he said, known endings. Maybe we could talk about this just a little bit more before we close up. Knowing the ending. Right ahead mm. of the prequel. So uh, C. Kraus 89 says, no known endings don't have to be inherently bad. Look at how often Shakespeare or Greek tragedies tell us the ending of the story in the opening chorus. I don't, I'm not too familiar with Greek tragedies, I guess. If the journey is done well, it doesn't matter that we know where it goes. But that is another inherent um, weakness, I would say, in the idea of a prequel, is knowing exactly what happens. Now, this is also... You could also say this is an inherent weakness in a remake or an adaption of a book or anything like that. In in that kind of material, you you also know how everything's going to end. 
if you read the source material to begin with, or if you played Final yeah. Fantasy VII before the remake, you know how it's going to end. How does that impact the actual art? How does that impact the the experience? Um, and in terms of a prequel, like this kid becomes Darth Vader, right? I, I guess the point of the prequel isn't that he becomes Darth Vader, it's how he becomes Darth Vader. And so in that sense, there is something there to tell but there is just an inherent weakness lingering above everyone's head they're just waiting for the moment that he becomes darth vader the whole prequel they're just waiting for that moment right yeah and it's in the back of their minds the whole time because they know it's gonna happen and i don't so, know if that is a bad thing or not but it's it's there i'm actually glad this got brought up because this yeah. was one of the questions on patreon oh and I, I i told the guy that um we I've already talked about this in a previous podcast. If you go back to episode 15, we were talking about what makes great plot twists. Oh, and yeah, yeah. I, I talked for a little bit about a study done at the University of California, I think, where uh, they they tested a group of people who who they had revealed the plot twist to ahead of time and had them read the book and then versus people who read the book without knowing what the twist was. And the results were that the people who knew the twist enjoyed the story a lot more. And I don't know if saying a lot more is a correct summation of the results they found. But that in general, they found people enjoyed the plot more when they knew the twist ahead of time than those who did not. So I think the title of that study was Spoiler Story Spoilers Don't Spoil Studies. Hmm. And um, anyways, I think there's a link to it if you go back to the episode 15 uh, podcast. Because uh, that that study was brought up by the guy on Patreon, I was like, "Holy crap!" Like I know that study. We talked about that, uh, you know, a couple months ago. Um. So, uh, we have a question here. Couldn't that just mean that the story was poorly told? No, I think this. I think that there is. There's a lot of things that can go into this. This is why I don't want to use this as a blanket statement to say, yes, knowing the story ahead of time means you'll enjoy it better. I, I'm not trying to make any claim like that. You know, you could really take advantage of that. <laughs> tell like, you beginning what happens. Well, the trailers, right? Trailers basically like freaking tell you the whole movie these That's days. A very good point. <laughs> Anyways, they do. I don't. I don't think it's correct to make the assumption from that study that. You know, just generally speaking, if you know the story's plot twist ahead of time, you'll you'll like it better. I think for someone, I can only speak for myself. For someone like me, I'm gonna. I'm there's two parts to this really for me. I'm gonna go through something more than once because that's what I do. Like I don't just take a story in one time and be like, cool, new yeah. thing. I usually yeah. go through it twice. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think a lot of people do that. I don't think a lot of people will just go through something twice unless they just loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it, right? Um, but also, the reason why, let's say, uh, Final Fantasy XV was coming out, and I freaking knew because the, the, it was leaked. The, the, what happens to Luna Freya was leaked and Noctis and all that. Like, I knew who was going to die and who was going to live before the game came out. And we were trying to moderate those things in comment sections leading up to the game to not spoil it for our viewers. But I knew about it. And a lot of people were like, dude, how are you not so pissed? You were waiting for that game for like 10 years and you know everything. Is but right. see, for me, I'm not looking at it just as, oh, I just want like the story to unfold. I, I, I like the context. 
uh, how did we arrive at that plot point and why is it effective? And so I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm constantly like looking at the story from sort of that point of view, that that sort of analytical point of view, like, oh, that choice and that choice, that hint that they dropped there. You see that that's foreshadowing. That's going to come up important later. Keep that in mind, unless it's Chekhov's gun, that'll be pissed. But it's not I don't think that's going to be Chekhov's gun. I think that they just they just left that there for a reason. So I'm going to put that in the back of my head now. And that's going to be relevant later. Like I'm picking up on the trail of breadcrumbs crumbs that they leave so that when we arrive at it's like dude i love the way they executed that that was awesome because sometimes especially if it's something you hadn't thought of before but you realize it kind of before it happens this is something i do when i watch korean shows with my wife a lot um i'll be like oh i get it they're gonna do this so that this character can be here at this time so that when this happens this other thing can can work out and it's gonna actually make sense holy cow they're gonna pull this off i can't believe it like that happens to me all the time. And sometimes I'm right. Sometimes I'm wrong ish, I guess. But when I'm wrong, I'm usually like, Oh, they, they should have done it that way. It would have been better. But, um, you know, I always talk out loud when I watch TV shows, probably not super fun to watch stuff with anymore, but well, well, the that's actually a good point. Cause a lot of people do that. Do analysis. I'm trying to analyze what's happening and how the, the methods of how it's happening, you know? Well, a lot of people do that anyways, even people who aren't necessarily, they don't think they're analyzing it. They're still guessing. Yeah. And that's part of the fun. They, they all the people who are watching it together, are like they're going to, they're going to make their guess about what's going to happen. And they're right. doing that based on putting the pieces together, the pattern recognition yeah, of yeah, like yeah. what we've received so far and where they think it's going to go. Because again, storytelling is about the message the theme usually so you're if you've been around a long time you've seen a lot of stuff you've read a lot of stuff you're you're kind of getting the idea of where they're going and you're picking it up as they're you know giving it to you and there there is an enjoyment in that so but anyways for me knowing it ahead of time i can still enjoy it because i'm i'm still seeing how they arrive there and to me like that that's where you get the thematic message from. Like the plot twist isn't the point of the story. Right. It's it, it's you'll lose the shock. You'll lose that part of it. And I, I agree that sucks. Like, dang it. Like, I'm not going to be shocked by that moment. But for me, the real point is the theme, the message. And you still get that in the context that leads up to the choices and oh that character shouldn't have made that mistake and that's what led to the death or whatever you know like the tragedy happened because character a made this 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 and this breadcrumb left all uh, sorry i i was way ahead of myself in that sentence they made this this and this choice which led to this consequence which were all a trail of breadcrumbs left (laughs) by the storyteller (laughs) yeah and as you pick those up you you arrive at what they're trying to say, what the story yeah. trailer is trying to say with the story. And that's what I'm really here for. Right. So it's fine. And not, it's not fine. It's unfortunate, but I can still enjoy it. I can still get a lot of value out of the story, even when I know what's going to happen. If that makes sense. I have a thought. Star Wars episode six. It's called return of the Jedi. Yeah. What if what if the Jedi that returns is Anakin, not Luke? Oh, think of that before. They're like, what's the theme of Star Wars? Like in yeah, the old theme of the original trilogy would be something along the lines of even the worst people can can become good. 
or they they're still kind of good maybe possibly they have good left in them it can yeah, be there's drawn good out. in everybody something like that and then the theme of the prequels is even the goodest people like that little <laughs> anakin kid can become very bad right yeah so you sure. kind of have a reversal of the, of the, the story arcs right and then these new disney ones you've gives a fetch. I don't really care what they're trying to say. <laughs> as far as I can tell, they're not trying to say anything in, in these movies. Um, but uh, the, you know, the like what the author is saying beyond just what is the arc? Like, what's the theme, you know? And mm. Return of the Jedi was Anakin returning as a Jedi. Ooh, how about that? There you go. That's some deep That's analysis. Deep. <laughs> uh, Jason A.T. brings up um, about breadcrumbs and prequels. Has anyone has anyone seen the Dark Crystal on Netflix that's coming out? Or oh maybe yeah, this is something yeah. We else? saw the trailer. Wait, so uh, he didn't say crystal. He didn't say that. The, he said, "Have you seen Dark, dark on oh. Netflix?" Especially seen season two. Sorry, I have not seen Dark. No, I have not seen that. The reason I thought you were saying Dark Crystal was because it is a prequel. The Dark Crystal yeah. show that's coming out yeah. in August who, is a prequel to the Dark Crystal. How are they going to do it? I wonder. Right. Yeah. The, so anyways, that's why I assumed you were saying that because we're talking about prequels. Yeah. But I haven't seen Dark, so I can't comment on it. My bad. Mm. Um, haven't seen it. A lot of people saying, watch Dark. It's awesome. I will look it up. Oh, cool. And, and get into it. But no, the Dark Crystal is a prequel to the Dark Crystal movie from 1983 or 4 or whenever it came out. Yeah. Um. Looks so sick, I, dude. There, there's I'm a lot. Yeah, there's a lot there. Like Dark Crystal, for for what it is, I guess it has like some really, really deep kind of lore, and there, there's a big expansive history kind of to what they're doing there. Yeah. So there's a lot that they could do with this with this prequel. But but again, everyone knows where it's going. We know how it's going to end. We know the Gelflings are going to be killed off. We know the Skeksis are going to like take over. Yeah. Like we know that that's going to happen because <laughs> we know the original story. So we know what how are they going to build that tension? What are they going to do to make it interesting? That's what and I'm most looking forward to seeing. Are they going to do any CG or is it all going to be puppets? Well, they <laughs> do have some. They do have some, but they've blended yeah. it. They've done, which is what good, you're supposed good. to do with good CGI work. You yeah, blend good. it with practical effects <laughs> in such a way to where you can't tell. But there are some shots in that trailer that blew my mind, like where I know that's not a puppet because I know the puppet could not have been pulled that way and landed and moved that way. Uh, but it's animated so well. <laughs> and I think that they blend it with like the the actual like real elements so well that it just it's beautiful. It looks really, really good. So I'm very excited about it. Cool. Even though okay. that's not what you guys are talking about. <laughs> we'll, I'll we'll, watch Dark. I'll check yeah. it out. Is Dark in English? That's my question. Okay. Let's get through some uh, community questions here. Okay. One comes from Jakob Bean on Patreon. What happened to the sport RPG genre? Back on the GBA, Shame. you had Mario Tennis Power Tour and Mario Golf Advance Tour, uh, which I had a blast playing them. Since the PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and Switch, there hasn't been much. Golf Story is the only sport RPG out there. And I it's guess you really can... good. Golf Story is phenomenal. <laughs> I have that on my wish list on the Switch. I want oh, to you got to play it, man. It is it is too good. Maybe I should play that instead of Final Fantasy VII for the 15th. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, I guess you could include the story mode in NBA 2K and UFC. Uh, I'm looking for a game that only focuses on the RPG and story. Dude, I tell you what. 
that uh, Mario Tennis game on GBA. Yeah, that was cool. That was so much well, fun. And you could plug it into your your N64 controller pack thing or whatever, and you could transfer your character um, onto your N64 game with like mm. all his stats and stuff. That was cool. I I freak yeah I really really liked it. That's a good. Yeah. I mean, it's a good point. I think it's a good genre or a good. What do you call it? Subject is sports its own genre? I guess I would say it is. So sports, <laughs> I'll call sports question. a genre. RPGs, RPG mechanics and elements being part of the sports genre. I think that's like that's like peanut butter and jelly. I mean, that's like a really good mix. If we were playing a game dev story, that would be one of those yeah. where it's like, these make a lot of sense. Like oh, this game's going to be great. Yeah. <laughs> this is a good combination, whatever they call Wait, it. Wait, speaking combination. of, didn't, didn't game dev story create a soccer, uh, what's the soccer one? But it's like soccer management, right? So you're yeah, not, you're not playing manager. as a player. You're like a manager of a team. It's true. That may be one to check out, Jakob, but you're not actually playing. You're just like the manager. So that is, but, that is but if you haven't played those Kairosoft games, that's yeah, the name fun. of the company. Uh, yeah. Game Dev Story. Game Dev Story. I don't great. know what it's called. They're all called Story. Something Story. And yeah. they have one to where you play as like the manager of a soccer team, mm-hmm. football team. Uh, anyways, check that that studio. They have a ton yeah. of good stuff you probably like well, a lot. Dude McGuy's saying regular sports games incorporate these RPG elements when you have, they have career modes with a character creator and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's true. Like NBA 2K and... There's a lot of games where you you play a game, you play your basketball exhibition game, and depending on how well you did, you can allocate a certain amount points. of experience points to different attributes that you want to to do better at. And you know, you go out and play the next game, and you're slightly better than you were, and you slowly build up to become this all star player. You know, and they do have that in most sport game sports games now. So that may be what replaced it, but there is something different, and the difference is there isn't a story. It's just the games, and that's why Golf Story is so good. The yeah. outside of playing golf, there's a whole story of this guy's life. You know, it's like there's there's all sorts of other elements to it, and all sorts of other things going on than just the sport. Whereas in these um, sports games now, it's just it's just the, the sports, and then you have your experience points. It would be like playing an RPG with just battles and no actual exploration, story, or towns, or, yeah. or yeah, no story. And it's not quite the same thing. So I think I know what Yakubi is saying. Yeah, that, that is something I'd like to see. I'd like to yeah. see a game where it's a story about a person's life, but like you, you just you play, you're a professional athlete. You're a professional athlete. And yeah. you or you're an amateur it. athlete who wants to be a professional. You're a professional. That's a good point. You go out and you climb the ranks and you eventually achieve your dreams, you know? Yeah. I'm on the same page, Jakub. We need to see more of that. That's big, that's untapped potential. Now, there is in Japan, they aren't here, but in Japan, there is a series of games called Inazuma 11, and it's soccer. Mm. And you've got the 11, like they're like high school age kids. And it's sort of like a shonen anime, I guess. Um, but they're this really good soccer team, and they learn to work together, and they have all sorts of experiences outside of the sport event. So these games were typically on the DS um, or 3DS. So if you can find any Inazuma 11 games, those might be what you're looking for. But I don't know. I, I, I think there are fan translations out there that you could get it in English. Otherwise, you're going to have to play it in Japanese, which is what I did. And I didn't get very far because it's it's hard to, um I don't know, 
playing games, reading just reading text in Japanese, it takes me a very long time. So, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Inazuma 11, you should check that out. All right. Our next question comes from Chris Guin. So apparently there's a medieval fantasy live-action role-playing theme park in Pleasant Grove called Evermore. Yep. Have you guys ever been there or ever heard of it? I think it's a really interesting concept for environmental storytelling. You go on quests and so forth, talk to yeah, characters. Yeah. It sounds like the kind of thing that could both be really interest or could both really interest me and that would really turn me off at the same time. I love the idea of inhabiting a fantasy setting. I have or I hate role-playing. What do y'all think? Okay, so yeah. we're aware of it. I don't know if you've been. I haven't been yet. I haven't yet either. It's like 50, 40, 50 bucks a ticket. It's actually very expensive. It depends on the season and the the particular show you go to. Okay. Because, and, and I actually know a little bit more about this. I think I am going to go um, probably this season at some point. Chrissy really wants to go, so we'll probably go sometime in the next month or something like that. Oh, cool. But I've she's been to it. Real good things about it. She's been to it. And it is a really promising idea. They have been very poorly managed uh, from a financial standpoint. A lot of the um, actors have complained about, you know, pay and the timing of pay. And there's been threats about the thing being shut down and certain mm. things that weren't finished. Um the concept is really cool, and, and what they've built is really impressive. Um, but you're right. Like, I, I think that <clears throat> there's an awkwardness to trying to get, like, the average person to role play. So you have the paid actors there who are doing the role playing, and you're just kind of there observing it. Um, but as far as I can tell, they don't really have quests in the sense that you're talking about you know we're like oh we're gonna go here and complete this and do this and you know like a, even as something as basic as a scavenger hunt it's 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 pretty basic in its current form i think these are things they they have goals to eventually work up to hmm. but um i just know that money was a, a big problem and there were there were threats christine knows some people who were in the show who were uh, employees who were actors yeah there. there's actors yeah they hire they hire actors and they stay in character and it's yeah you know. so it's a cool concept i haven't been yet i will probably go like i said in the next couple months and check it out to see what's been expanded on for this season and see if it's any better but um this is actually something that the guy that i work for uh josh he ran something called fantasy con and he, he had a similar vision, but this was not for something that was supposed to be a theme park that stayed. It was supposed to be able to travel the country and yeah. like bring it to you kind of a deal. And, you know, he had a successful opening year, but then his his investor like kind of got cold feet and didn't continue with it. But right. the, the concept of it is really interesting. I don't know what to say. I don't know where I'm going with this. I I haven't been to Evermore. I like the idea, but I'm with yeah. you in that role playing can be really awkward yeah, for the average person attending a place. So yeah. you have to try and create quests or things to do or ways to interact without like relying on average Joe guy who's coming through to like take up the role of a character. 
Yeah. So how Can well I just wear works... my t-shirt and jeans or do I have yeah. to like really get into this, you know? And it's like some people just aren't into that. I'm not sure how it all comes together. I will let you know once I've actually attended myself. Okay. Okay. I haven't been either, so. Last one. This comes from Chris Kraus on Twitter. Thought exercise for you. You're a lawyer. Make your case for each era of Final Fantasy. Phase 1, which is 1 through 3. Phase 2, which is 4 through 6. Phase 3, which is 7 through 9. Phase 4, 10 through 12. Phase 5, 13 through 15. You want to make it more complicated, throw in tactics and sequels like 10-2 in their respective phases. Um, Well, this is pretty easy. I I won't get too in detail with this, right? Yeah. And making a case for it from like a lawyer point of view, I don't know how well I can do that, but I'll I'll do the best I can. I have to go objection when anyone says phase five has merit. (laughs) Um, Okay, so to me, obviously, the golden era is phase three. I think that phase two, there would be some who would put that above phase three. But I think that if we're talking about reception, we're talking about growth of the franchise popularity how many people it affected um how many people even heard about final fantasy before phase three versus how many heard about it afterward Uh, it's kind of no contest i mean phase three is where it really exploded and i think for good reason i think that seven eight and nine but in particular seven and nine are two that are consistently held up as pinnacles top tier games and you know four and six and five are in that conversation as well but i think that the with the advent of the playstation the the new 3d technology um it just came at the right time it told the right stories it did that's the, it told and, the right stories and like that was the best era of final fantasy in my opinion with phase two very close behind it. I mean, very close. It's it's not that the quality of the games are by any means like... There's no large gaps between them. They're all very solid, but there's something so special about Phase 3, and there's a reason why it was the most popular phase of Final Fantasy. So the I'd say Phase phase. Three, phase 3, number 1, Phase 2, number 2, mm. and then I'll go with um, Phase 1 as number 3 as the, the starter um what got it off the ground the choices that were made there by the creators are are the foundation that was set that allowed the success to come right the success came basically a decade after the foundation was laid but without that foundation without those creators in place leading those teams learning from mistakes as they went along that never would have occurred so all the groundwork done in phase one is what led to the popularity of phases two and three. So I'll put phase one as the next most important. Phase four to me is the end of that era, the end of Sakaguchi, the merging of Square with Enix, the changing of philosophy of the company. So there's some really good there. There's some signs of things to come that are, I don't know about this. Um, 
You know, there's a sequel thrown in there for the first time, like a direct sequel, which is an yeah. antithesis to the philosophy of the original yeah. creator. He never exactly. wanted direct sequels. So yeah. we start to see Yoichi Wada's hand in things in this phase. But we have a really strong Final Fantasy X in there to start it off. But this is where it starts kind of sloping and diminishing. And then phase five is a freaking disaster, and I have no need to explain why. Everyone knows why. <laughs> I would I would probably do the same thing as you, except I would totally put phase one. Um, I'd flip phase one and four. <laughs> okay. I, I Personally, I suppose I haven't really played Final Fantasy one, two, or three, so I would have to probably just back out of those. But I've played all the others, believe yeah. it or not. I actually have. But I have played a little bit of one, two, and three, and you know I'm not like, I'm not like super impressed by them. But maybe if I beat them all the way, I'd I'd have more of an appreciation for them the way that you do, Mike. But uh, do, go ahead, go ahead. I was gonna say in terms of um, like making an argument, like specifically with Phase Four, um, Eleven is the most profitable Final Fantasy that I think they've ever made. Yeah, it's also Ten, my least favorite. Yeah. video game of all time almost <laughs> yeah a 10 as i think the second highest selling final fantasy ever yeah and then 12 is i don't i wouldn't say it's my favorite i guess it's up there though i like seven and nine better um I like but 12 is 12 probably uh, and six 12 is probably my fourth favorite up there with like four and eight i guess um but it's really good i think phase four is still really strong all things considered there were still a lot of pieces in place that hadn't quite fallen apart yet after the merger. Um, but of course, eventually completely fell apart by phase five. So there you go. Yeah. I think, I think that those are good points. First of all. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I guess I'll just clarify further. This is where the, the early signs of the sloping off began. It was like, like final yeah, fantasy 12 is trouble. final fantasy 12 is in my top five. I think yeah, it's, it's number great, five for me. It's I really like Final Fantasy XII, but there's just signs there that they don't quite got it like they used to, yeah. storytelling-wise. And uh, Final Fantasy X, not so much the story, but uh, like world map construction, oh, yeah. line, linearity, <laughs> um, the way that they changed... Like, you know, taking away the joy of getting the airship for the first time, flying that around the world... You know, you just kind of like pick a spot on a map and go there. There are certain yeah. things about the way that it was made that was like, again, kind of a sign of things to come that was losing just this portion of its spirit that mm-hmm. I felt kind of started sure. with 10. But again, yeah. I still love 10 and I still love yeah. 12. I hate Final Fantasy 11. I legitimately hate that game. So that's a, just a personal thing for me. But <laughs> I don't like MMOs. So, but it started sloping off there. And there are people saying that, uh, you know, some, they, they like phase five, like 13 and 15 better than one through three. I think in order to appreciate one through, well, I don't want to say that. I'll say that I appreciate one through three a lot simply from the foundational perspective that I talked about before. But in addition to that, I legitimately have a lot of fun when I sit and play those games. Really? Like, despite the fact that, like, <clears throat> the encounter rate in Final Fantasy 2, you take, like, two steps, it's like, fight again, fight again, fight again, fight again, fight again. 
Final Fantasy 2 is also considered by most people to be the very worst Final Fantasy. Yeah. yeah. I don't have that perspective. I understand why they think that. You know what's kind of weird? In every phase, the middle entry is the worst one. You think that? <laughs> people will fight you about five, but yes, generally that's But tends if it's to be up against case. four and six, I'm sorry, five is less good than four and six. Eight I think that's good, true. But less good than seven and nine. 11's less good than ten and twelve. Okay, now when it gets to 13, 14, 15, I don't know. 14 is actually the best of those three. Yeah, 14 would actually be the best. But in each phase, typically. The whole the thing's flipped on its head. It's phase five. Tell you, phase five yeah. is crazy. Phase five, but, dude, they've <laughs> changed everything. But yes, I would agree with that assessment. Yeah. I think that generally the middle of each of those trilogy phases is the weakest one. Yeah. Um, it's like they started strong. They. they didn't quite know exactly what to do for the sequel. And then they finished strong after yes. learning from their mistakes, I guess. Right. And each one of those was a console generation too. Yeah. So yeah. you have NES, Super NES, PlayStation 1, PlayStation 2. And then, you know, it gets well, all messed up after that. Again, Phase 5. Or Phase fetching, 5, man. <laughs> fetching, fetch Phase 5. I hate Phase 5. Fetch those guys. <laughs> but, but no, I, I legitimately go, I like when I replay FF1 through 3, I play the original NES versions. I like those really outdated graphics, uh, just with like the guy who's all red, the 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 red warrior. Um, I like, I don't know, I like it, and I think part of it is because I have such a fondness for the NES. Yeah. Um, because it was a, a childhood console for me, and I get like. A lot of people feel like the NES that go back and play games and it's like, man, this just feels like it was not quite there. And then when they got to the Super Nintendo, like they really figured it out. The games felt better to play, control. Um, they looked more presentable. The music was smoother. Like the just the, the presentation comes together. It feels better to play. Like the Super Nintendo, they figured it out. And the NES just feels clunky. I don't yeah. agree. I feel like the NES games were a, a tighter in a lot of ways, animation-wise, um, because they used fewer frames. There's a really good video on this that talks about Mega Man, for instance. Uh, Mega Man, when they re- not remastered it, but they, they... So you have the original Mega Man, NES Mega Mans, and then they mm-hmm. did, I think, a version on Super Nintendo where you could play Mega Man 1, but on the Super Nintendo. They did a similar thing with the All-Stars version of Super Mario, where oh, you yeah, could play yeah. Mario Brothers one through three on the super nintendo but like no fetch that i'm not playing that version i'm playing the nes version because it felt tighter the animation felt tighter um Mm -hmm. i really like a lot of the sounds for the music that created on the nes um i don't know i have an affinity for that console that is not just nostalgia based it is partly nostalgia based but it's not just nostalgia based sure sure um that that I think those games have a lot of merit in and of themselves, and I legitimately enjoy playing them, despite the fact that they are simpler, uh, and they can be very unfair at times with encounter rates and instant death spells that wipe out your party with save points. And but man, it just I I just like them. I just I I boot up Final Fantasy want to start playing that, and I feel happy. <laughs> I boot up Final Fantasy thirteen, and I'm immediately angry <laughs> i'm upset <laughs> so i don't know that's where i'm at that's why i put all it right. above but okay all right guys that's the end of our podcast thank you for watching you guys are beasts 
<laughs> Capdoc says FF1 makes you feel like Spider-Man. Uh, <laughs> what? We got, we got donkey, donkey memes oh, in go. here. All right. Okay. We love you guys. Thank you for watching. And uh, we will see you again soon with a new video on the channel. I'm going to make something about the N64 this week. About why the N64 is such a great console. Why, why it's so beloved for me personally. And uh, we'll see you again for next week's podcast. Have a good one. Peace out. Peace.